You're listening to 10 Points, a podcast with your hosts, Ash and Nicholas, where all the talk is Canadian Highlander, our favorite format from the best trading card game ever, Magic the Gathering. Hi, everybody. It's me, Ash. And me, Nicholas. Today, we're going to be discussing the maybe board and why it's so important. But first, we're going to talk about our best card from, uh, and today we're doing Urza's Destiny. Uh, Wait, are you you going first or me? uh i will go first uh see it yeah so the card i picked is academy rector um it's a card that enables a really powerful strategy mostly in uh pattern rector decks uh which is a good segue into ash's best card from and then we will talk about how they interact yeah my best card from this set is pattern of rebirth uh realistically neither of these cards is was enough better than the other ones for us to have a strong opinion. We disagree. They both needed to be talked about together. Yep. It's one of those so, things uh, where isolated, neither card is that amazing, but together they win the game. Well, I will say I do play Academy Rector in, in like red, white prison. Cause like I can kill it and then it gets humility. It also can get like, what's the like seven mana humility that also does other stuff. Uh, it doesn't really do much more, but it's called, uh, you talk about the deck and I'll figure it out. Okay, so basically the reason that uh, Pattern Rector is so good is it's a deck where you get Academy Rector into play with a Sack Outlet, and then as long as you have the Sack Outlet, Academy, and another creature, you can sack the Academy Rector, exile it from your graveyard, go get Pattern of Rebirth, put it on a creature, and then sack that creature, uh, and which will trigger the uh, Pattern of Rebirth, to go get Protean Hulk. And then from there, you can combo off using pretty much whatever combo you want. You can... Um, there's actually a new one. There's lots of them. The easiest one is probably just like Murderous Redcap and Vizier of Remedies. Uh, but there are a plethora of different things that you can do. Um, there's a new one with uh, the... It's a three drop from like the Kamigawa Commander deck. I think is what it's from. And it lets you, uh, it let, like it, it comes into play as a copy of a creature that died this turn. So you just have it come into play as the Protean Hulk, and you can all, like I think your your combo gets to be a little bit more resilient with that one. Yeah, because you can also get like the um, we normally had to spend four mana on that effect. You can spend three mana on that effect, so you get one more mana to spend on Sylvan Safekeeper. Just protect everything a little bit better. Yeah. Um. Additionally. I mean, that works really well, too, but you could also get, like, Karmic Guide, Sylvan Safekeeper, um, or, like I said, there's a plethora of options. There are. Um, you guys can actually see me play this deck on Paperlander number five, if that is something you're into. It went very well. Uh, I think I ended up, well, I'll leave that for you guys to watch, but yeah. I'm pretty sure I, I needed help one time. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was fun. It was a good time all around. But uh, yeah, Pattern of Rebirth, you, you can play the deck without the Rector and just find Pattern some other way and put it on something, but it's drastically worse. Yeah. Because you don't get to spend your creature tutors looking for the the Rector. So, you know. But they together make a pretty popular archetype, so it's cool. Good stuff, fun stuff all around. Yep, I recommend the deck. Yeah, I would also spend a recommendation on the deck. All right, but do you want to get into what uh, we're talking about today? 
Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the Maybe Board, like we talked about. And if you don't know what that is, the Maybe Board is... Uh, it actually exists on a couple of deck building websites, such as Tap. I almost said TCG Player, such as Tapped Out and uh, the new kind of favorite for the Highlander community, which is Moxfield. Um, I just think it's higher quality, if you ask me. But not uh, the Maybe Board hashtag not sponsored. The Maybe Board is a section where you can save cards on your deck that aren't actually added to your actual deck list or your sideboard. They're just kind of saved along with the deck. So people who are looking at your deck online can know what cards you're maybe playing or would consider playing in specific circumstances. So the way we're using it today when we discuss it, we're more talking about it it could be literally online saved as a maybe board with your deck. Or it could just be more a selection of cards that are adjacent to your deck that didn't quite make the cut or would make the cut in different metagames. So the idea of the maybe board is why or some cards that you might need to bring in and knowing why you would want to bring those cards in in different metas yeah um i would agree yeah so the maybe board the way i see it is it's kind of like a sideboard but instead of sideboarding between games you sideboard between tournaments Um, and it also is as big as you want it to be yeah this this mostly i would say applies to like people that like only play like one or two decks really and so they like They've bought these decks, they've built these decks, they keep these decks built, but the meta is constantly changing. New cards are coming out every day. We've seen, like, the initiative completely altered the format. Um, like, we've seen we've seen the format altered many times. I mean, Spearmint Jeskai, because of, like, Oko and Uro and Ren and Six, which are, I guess, not that new anymore, which is weird to think about, but... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Minsk and Boo is pretty new. Minsk and Boo is super new. Um, but like the format's constantly changing. So having a maybe board of cards that are like good against certain decks, if the meta shifts to those decks, you want to be able to have these cards that you know are good against these certain decks and you can, uh, exchange them in. Um, yeah, for example, uh, you guys know I'm a huge blue white player and I have a binder and about half of that binder this is like a four page or a four pocket binder but about half of that binder is not filled up with trades it is filled up with cards that will go in blue white in certain builds based on the meta so like half of that is basically me crossing my fingers that people are going to start playing more control so i can out control the control decks but uh you know it's it's on the horizon i hope so we should. I mean, we kind of already have talked about this, but like Ash, what do you think the biggest reason to like keep track of a maybe board instead of just like if the meta shifts, finding cards that you think would be good and putting them in? Like, why keep track of it actively? One big reason to do that is a uh, if you keep track of your maybe board and keep track of the cards you're switching out, it can help you remember what you were playing before. If you find out a current build isn't working, it can be even easier for you to go back and rebuild the previous version. That is one value of it. But another really good thing about it is it, if you're trying out new cards and uh, you know, having a list of cards you want to try out or would try out against certain decks, if they're popular, it gives you a more structured opportunity to test out these new cards that you might otherwise 
keep saying, oh, eventually I'm going to try that card out. But if you actually have a structured AE board, it can be really easy to slot it in finally. So I found myself always saying I'm going to try X, Y, or Z card and then never doing it until I've been playing a deck for three weeks and realize, oh, I never tried this. Maybe I should try it before I take it apart and build a different deck. Yeah, um, it is definitely really good for like trying trying out new stuff. Um, but you don't want to make it too big, um, transitioning into our next kind of topic. Um, you can sometimes fall into the trap of finding a bunch of cards that you think would be really cool in the deck and like throwing them in your maybe board. But when you're constructing a maybe board, you don't want to get lost to the point that you've basically just accumulated an entire album of cards that it takes forever to go through and pick. So when you're adding a card to your maybe board, you have to actually consider, is this ever going to be better in any meta? Is this going to actually be better than anything I'm already playing? Um, and are there any metas or reasons that I would actually bring this card in? Uh, like good examples of that are, okay, well now I can't think of any examples. Well, I would like I would like to say that I think that um, my like I said I have half a four pay, uh, half of a four pocket binder more or less that is just blue white cards. Probably about half or a third of those cards should be the real maybe board, and the other half is just a bunch of pipe dreams. So, you know, realistically, you don't want a whole half binder of a maybe board for most decks. I think there is an exception, which we'll get to a little bit later. But uh, on average, you don't want it to be just a bunch of cards you wish you could play, but it should be cards that actually you can in certain in certain metas. Yeah. Um, so do we do we just want to start talking about maybe some specific decks and what they're kind of looking for in the maybe board? Yeah. Uh, so we'll get started with talking about control, seeing as that's the notes we typed in first. And you already uh, talked about it a little bit with blue white. Yeah, I guess I didn't really talk about examples, but. Sure. Uh, so we're not going to get too deep into specific archetypes except for with example, uh, like card examples. Um, so we're just going to talk about general things that control decks look for when they are quote-unquote constructing a maybe board. Um, probably the biggest thing that I advocate for control players to have on their maybe board is a different number of sweepers. Ideally, uh, if they're playing a lot, being able to slot them out. And if they're not playing enough, having additional sweepers that they are able to slot in in the metas where sweeping is really good for example i think our our current meta is very very creatures on the board based so i think sweepers are better than they used to be yeah um, that's a good example of like what the maybe board is supposed to do which is like beat certain kind of decks so if your meta is really creature heavy having the option to just like bring in more sweepers before a tournament uh can be really helpful um, another thing that control can look for is if the meta is not as creature heavy, but it's more like control heavy or people are playing like more planeswalker or combo heavy decks, uh, you could have more counter spells, um, like more ways to interact on the stack um, that are in your maybe board that you can maybe take some of the sweepers out and bring those in if you need them. Yeah, um, I, I actually have gotten a little bit of hate for this opinion and you know what, fair enough, but um, I particularly like the Counterspell Syncopate. I think that the Exile Clause is extremely relevant, and Blue-White Control is often able to utilize that extra mana, or, or have the extra mana to utilize it effectively. And, uh, you know, in, in 
if people aren't playing that, that could be a reasonable counter spell to have in your maybe board because if you're all of a sudden find a lot of people playing lands decks, you really want to be able to exile that life from alone. Or if you know if you're able to exile someone's Thassa's Oracle, then uh, it's much harder for them to combo off. They have to use an alternate win condition in their Oracle deck. So you know. Counter spells that not only are just additional counter spells, but might actually have higher utility outside of that, like disallow. Maybe, maybe you're not normally playing disallow, but that's when you bring in and more counter spell or more metas where counter spells are better. Because even if you're not using it to counter spell, it has additional utility outside of that. Yep, I'm actually going to talk about getting absolutely got by disallow later, so stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, in our closing segment. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but another thing is sometimes you're just bringing in most of the. Sorry, let me restart that statement. Most of the metas where counter spells are going to be better, you're not necessarily needing to counter creatures. Initiative is kind of the main uh, exception to that. Like, it's really good to counter initiative creatures instead of killing them after they're in play. But uh, aside from that, oftentimes counter spells are going to be better when you're countering non-creature spells. So bringing in negates, counter squall. Uh, Dovin's Veto, that kind of stuff, if you're not already on it, those are often quote-unquote sideboard. They're maybe board cards, I think. Yeah, um, another thing that Blue-White, or I mean, not Blue-White, but just Control in general, um, I guess, yeah, so I'm going to talk about this, and then there will be another thing to talk about. Um, another thing that Control can sometimes try to do, depending on the meta, is bring in better or different threats, depending on the meta. Um, so, like, a good example of that would be um, if you are in, like, a really combo-heavy meta, um, you want some faster threats, which is, like, weird to play in control, but you can only disrupt the combo so much, so you need to have some sort of pressure. So, things like Monastery Mentor are really good examples of that, where it's something that just kills them really fast while also going along with your game plan of playing spells and interacting uh at instant speed yeah uh in more controlling metagames the kind of threats you want are the kind that don't just lose to one piece of removal so if you're in a more controlling metagame uh if you are playing control in a controlling metagame your win conditions are going to be better off as things like true name nemesis where their only option to remove it well asterisk their only option to remove it is going to be a wrath then they're spending four mana on their turn, and you have a lot of ways to interact with that uh, compared to if it, you played Monastery Mentor into Control. They're often, they have a Swords of Plowshares burning in their deck in, or burning in their hand, anyways. So just giving them an opportunity to spend that is not really what you want to do. But other options are like uh, the, I don't remember what it's called, Court of Grace, I think it is. The Court from Commander, Le- Le- Commander Legends, I think it's called. Is that right? I don't know. I think that's what the set's called. The same set where Whole Breacher came from. Uh, you know, there's a court there where you get the Monarch and then you it keeps making tokens every turn. So it's it's not it doesn't lose to a Wrath or a Path to Exile, but it keeps producing threats that are you're gonna kill your opponent with. So stuff like that are really good in control metas. Yeah, um, if you're in like an initiative heavy meta. Um, oh, Shark Typhoon. That's a good one too. Shark. I mean, yeah, Shark Typhoon is very good against control. Um, if you resolve it. If you're in like a meta where there's a lot of people like 
introducing the initiative, taking the initiative, you want some more like evasive threats. Um, like good examples are Vendillion Click, uh, Avon Mind Sensor, Nimble True Name Nemesis again. True Name Nemesis again. Oh, the new Fairy Mastermind. Oh, that that's a pretty good really option. Really good. Good against control that- as well. Yeah, that one might just be a staple now. I'm not sure. It dies to removal, and that sucks. But it, yeah, if you don't know it, it's a new card from March of Machines. It is one in a blue for a 2-1 with flash and flying. I think it's a fairy rogue. It's a fairy wizard, probably. Fairy um, but something whenever, Yeah, it's a fairy something. Whenever your opponent draws their second card on their turn, or it's just the second card on a turn, you draw a card. And then you can pay three and a blue for each player draw a card. So if your opponent casts a cantrip on their turn, you just get to draw a card too. Or if they activate a Jace brainstorm, you just draw a card as well. Or if they don't do anything, on their end step, you activate it and make each player draw a card. So you draw a card, and then they draw a card, and then that's their second card, so you draw another card. I just think it's good. <laughs> it's also a 2-1 Flash Flyer, which is good at taking the initiative, hitting uh, Planeswalkers, uh, hitting your opponent. It does yep. a little bit of everything. Ambush Viper it does die. block like a Ragavan or something. Apparently, because this is one of the invitational cards, so the guy who made it, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, um, but he, he wanted it to be a 1-3, but they basically told him no because that favorably blocked Ragavan. I mean, we need more things that favorably block Ragavan, if we're being perfectly honest. No, I agree. I think Wizards just is in love with Ragavan for no reason. Monkey. Monkey. Well, anyways. <laughs> yeah, so the final thing, if you're in like a really grindy meta, um, you might want some more bigger threats, maybe like up your number of walkers. Uh, I've gone so far as to play Consecrated Sphinx. Maybe don't do that, but it's a lot of fun to just slam. Yeah, that, one dies to terminate. Yeah. that one dies to terminate. <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, I do agree with you that in the metas where both players are playing to the board, you can't... It's really hard to supreme verdict your opponent's three planeswalkers so sometimes i think in control in those kind of metas if you can't beat them you join them and you just want to play to the board too um and uh obviously you know will kenrith elsbeth sun's champion even the new um wandering emperor not the wandering well yes the wandering emperor but the uh six mana one I don't remember what it's called. The Eternal Emperor, maybe. Or the Eternal Wanderer, I think it is. Uh, that one is pretty interesting. So, you, you know, playing more Planeswalkers definitely comes up in uh, metas where playing to the board is going to be good. Yeah. All right, do we want to move on to aggro? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so aggro probably is the least... Uh, customizable of the decks that we're going to talk about um but there are yeah for the most part you just want to be playing your most efficient threats yeah aggro is a very uh proactive deck where you're already kind of playing the best cards for your game plan but um there are definitely like still ways that you can alter your deck to beat certain uh certain metas one uh good example is if you're in like a control mid-range heavy meta that's going to be like removing a lot of your stuff um, you could play some more like resilient threats that might sacrifice on power toughness efficiency, but they can come back from the graveyard. Uh, like an example would be like Tenacious Underdog or uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger. Um, yeah, and honestly, I think a lot of the black ones in particular, which is most of these more resilient threats are going to be black, um, 
they they actually don't sacrifice that much on power and toughness. Well, on power, anyways. They often are a little weaker to, like, forked bolt effects in Arc Trail, but they are pretty good against Wrath of God, for example. And the main thing they do is they can't block a lot of the time. That's the thing they sacrifice more than anything else. But um, resilience doesn't just come in reanimating itself. Sometimes it comes in being... Okay, Kitchen Fix, I guess, reanimates itself. But that's not exactly what I meant. But, um, you know, sometimes you'll play kitchen things where you know if it, you might not have necessarily otherwise because it's a little later on your curve or sometimes you'll play you go all the way up and play thrun uh old thrun not new thrun because he has that resilience in that hex proof and regeneration so sometimes re- resilient threats is not necessarily about reanimating themselves but just being harder to remove in the first place um and now i will say a lot of times when control is very popular that control is white, and a lot of these resilient threats aren't as good against white spot removal. And if they have the spot removal, they have the spot removal. That's just going to happen. But you need to get. I think it's more important to be able to beat them after they play Supreme Verdict than after they play Path to Exile. Yeah, um, yeah. Because the thing is, when you're playing aggro, you're dumping a lot of threats out. So if they just kill one of your three threats on the board, it slows you down, but it doesn't hinder you that much. But a Wrath can be devastating. So having a way to rebuild after a Wrath without having to have drawn cards to rebuild uh, can be really, really helpful. And that's one of the reasons, actually, that I think that um, Black Mold, the Golgari aggro deck, is particularly good when blue eye control is good because... Yeah, they'll swords to plowshares you, but you know w- when you are casting three spells a turn because you played a dark confidant and then you played a knight's whisper, and then you are able to dump these sets into play. You don't mind getting one path; you mind getting supreme verdicted. So when you get to have half your cards regrow because they have undying or you. Their their dread wanderer or you know whatever other arbitrary two power one drop that can reanimate itself. That's when you know you make them supreme verdict and then you keep hitting them anyways. Yeah. Um, but also uh, another thing you're gonna see in aggro decks, particularly the red ones, but a little bit the blue ones too, is non basic land hate, where you you sacrifice a little bit on your speed by playing these cards that don't actually kill them. Um, but you don't really mind taking three more turns to kill them if your opponent just can't cast spells. So if you're a deck that can play a Blood Moon or a Magus of the Moon, um, you don't always do that in certain metas. Um, you usually do, but, uh, you know, I've seen some decks that were kind of more synergy aggro decks, like the Black-Red uh, Rakdos Sacrifice deck that Grant played on the most recent episode of Paperlander which is episode nine, I want to say. That um, sounds that, right. that, that, he wasn't playing Blood Moon or Magus for the Moon and because those don't really aid his primary game plan, which is playing to the board and being good against removal. So uh, you know, his deck was not um, playing those, but at a certain point, the meta had gotten really weak to Blood Moon. So... Um, Matt, who was also playing that deck at the time, he decided to play those two cards. And I think he even put Price of Progress in too. 
and it they were extremely good. Where you know when he built the deck initially, it wasn't like a lot of people were playing a lot of basics, but it got to the point where everyone was really greedy on their mana bases and our meta, so he switched into them. Uh, yeah, and admittedly, a lot of these decks are going to be playing, um, are going to be playing the Blood Moon and Magus of the Moon and Price of Progress main board anyway. Uh, but like Ash said, in those metas where you don't want them, they should still definitely be in your maybe board because there's a very large amount, a variety of metas that those are just really good. I would like to actually say now that we've gotten a little bit through this, one really important concept is that you've probably already noticed is pretty much every card we're talking about is already perfectly playable in the deck. Like it could just be in your initial draft of the deck. So the maybe board isn't about cards that you wouldn't normally play that just you have to now. It's more about cards that you could play, but the meta didn't line up for them quite right, but it could. So it's you're, it's all cards that you definitely could already be playing. Yeah. Uh, also, did you say, this is a little bit off topic. Well, not really. Did you say that Matt was on Rakdos Sacrifice earlier? Not on Paperlander. Okay. Just it just he was just playing the deck. Not he wasn't it wasn't on Paperlander, but I did say that. Sweet. I also just realized why my audio is bad. Why is your audio bad? Using the wrong microphone again? It's going through my webcam. How bad is it? Uh, I mean, worse than normal. I just didn't know why, but now I do. Uh, do we have to re-record? <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. I got this. We'll clap, and then you'll stop, and then you'll switch, and then we'll clap again, and then we'll he can cut them together. All right, sure. All right, so three, two, one. You back? Yep. Okay. All right, so uh, one other comment about that. Uh, sorry, we had some tactical difficulties we had to fix. Um, one more comment about the price of progress, or the non-basic land hate. Me and Nick were talking before the recording, and uh, this might be more my opinion than his, but he seemed to be mostly agreeing with me. You can tell me if you are or not. But... Even in aggro decks where you're playing two to three colors and you're playing a lot of non-basics, if the meta is not pressuring your life total very much, like there's not a lot of aggro running around, there's not a lot of burn running around, there's not even a lot of big punchy mid-range, it's more like control-y stuff and combo stuff, you might be able to play Price of Progress in a two to three color deck just because it's going to affect your opponent way more than you on average. Um... Now, I wouldn't suggest that in a vacuum. I think it, you have to be you have to very carefully consider the metagame and how often that would be good versus how often it would be bad. But uh, it is something that might be worth considering. Yeah, I think in a, in a two-color deck, it's often going to be worth it um, as long as you're not in a super-duper aggro-heavy meta. But even in a super-duper aggro-heavy meta, if you build your deck right, you can usually make it work. Um but yeah, in a three-color deck, it definitely is often going to be very awkward. So you really have to consider if that's what you want to be doing with your... Uh, I mean, off, uh, first of all, if you're in three colors, there's probably different things you can do with your points that are a little bit less awkward. But yeah, like I said, in certain metas, uh, it can just still win the game. Even if it's doming you for like eight, if it's doming them for, for 12, it's probably worth it. I would like to go ahead and clarify. I'm aware of the fact that that is a hot take. Yeah. We're so, not recommending that you do that. But if, if you if, do if, do if, it, we won't be uh, judging you either. So, you know. 
Well, I do was just going to say, I was just going to say you're allowed to bash me, but if you do it, do it in the comments so we can juice the algorithm. Sure. Or in the uh, roast me channel. On no, not Discord. there. No, don't do it there. Do it in the comments or of the, the YouTube video on the Discord. If it, if you're listening to this on Spotify, go to the YouTube video and leave it in the comment. Okay, I'm done asking for comments. All right, uh, we're gonna What's finish next? aggro off with the final uh, thing that they can play, which is disruption. Uh, usually, an aggro that's gonna come in the form of like hand attack and spot removal that you might not usually be playing, um, and maybe a little bit of counter magic, but I would say generally not much. Um, but that's only going to be in like combo heavy metas, um, or I mean, really mostly combo heavy metas or like super creature heavy metas, where your opponents are playing creatures that you can't attack through that you need to remove. Um, so like Hant Thoughtseize, Duress, Inquisition definitely don't go in every meta in a black aggro deck, but in certain metas they can be really strong. Actually. Funny enough, uh, another story about the Rakdos Sacrifice deck that Grant and Matt were playing. They were pretty much playing synchronized lists for a really long time, and they kind of still are, um, just because they were trying to really, really figure out the deck. And uh, for a really long time, they weren't playing the one-mana discard effects. You know, the Holy Trinity, but the Trilogy. Tr- the Thoughtseize, the Inquisition, and Duress. But uh, they... I think Matt recently tried them out I don't really remember what prompted him to do so because there was some meta reason for it, but you know, same deck, same story. They weren't playing them, but they opted to for meta reasons. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to be like, and they found it was like really good or something like that, but no, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, but that's the thing about the maybe board. Like you, you like try things out, you find out if they work. Um, and if they like work in certain metas, other don't, you know, you can it's it's um, ash as we were talking about before the recording and it's like shocking how big of a difference like just five to 15 card change in your list like that can completely alter how the deck plays and what it is good against what's weak against yeah now that's more evident with mid-range which is our last section we'll talk about but it definitely comes up with other decks yeah um, but yeah, we can go ahead and move on to combo. I would say similar to aggro, there's not a whole lot of ways that you're altering your deck. I'd say probably more than aggro, honestly. More than aggro. I think a lot of the stuff on our list are, uh, like things that you're generally already playing or whatnot, but we'll, we'll go through it as we get there across the bridge when we get to it. So, uh, that makes wanna... sense. Start It'd be silly to cross the bridge before you get there, because that wouldn't make any sense. It'd be impressive, though. Well, uh, okay. Anyways, <laughs> oh, am I do? Oh, sorry. Sure. We're start. We're st- uh, we'll start off combo with spot removal. Um, you probably see this more than anything else. You see it with storm, at least in the traditional idea of spot removal. Um, Highlander storm decks are often going to be playing between one and probably one and three like one mana plain old normal spot removal spells like lightning bolt fatal push path to exile not path well, to exile, no swords. swords to plashers yeah swords not path um but uh and the reason you do that is to 
either remove the threat that's killing you next turn or this turn or more ideally you're spending that on Aven Mind Sensor, Collector Oof, or Opposition Agent. Or what's the other big one? Scavenging Ooze. Scavenging Ooze. And you also uh Delphi like, Voidwalker. I mean like there's a whole there's actually heck a lot of a lot of silver bullet creatures that you just need to deal with. We actually talked about this a little bit in our last episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that. Um where like there's yeah, just so many things that you have to be able to deal with so having the option to tutor up a removal spell um the reason that i won my semifinals match of the big tournament we had is because i had an abrupt decay in my deck and i tutored for it twice to kill a rest in peace peace. um so you know that is a a thing you'll see most often with Storm, but you definitely see it in other combo decks. Notably, you see it in Eggs and Paradox, um, though the options are a little a little more awkward. Um, in Eggs and Paradox, the primary thing you care about is Collector Oof, but you also similarly do not like Graveyard Hate. Well, actually, Paradox doesn't really care about Graveyard Hate. Eggs does. Um, so you don't care about those as much, but you do care about opposition agent and even mind sensor quite a lot and while uh pyrite spell bomb will remove those it does not remove collector roof so you have to play other options that will remove collector roof and the most common ones you're going to see are if you're in white you will often see portable hole as it removes uh it removes collector roof as well as void walker and scavenging news if you need to um but the other ones you're going to see is you'll see a lot of Ottawara and the uh, artifact that also does the Ottawara thing. And I can't remember what it's called, and I should because I love the card. It's blue and it's kind of like Springleaf Drum, but it also has channel. Uh, I think I know what card you're talking about. I have no idea what it's called, though. Okay, well, it, it it's the same as Ottawara, basically, but it can't hit Planeswalkers, I don't think. It might be able to. And it puts it on top or bottom of their deck. Basically, it, it removes Collector Oof. And it's great. Um, so those are things that are very, uh, they're kind of very specific to those decks, but um, that is spot removal that you, you often won't play all of that unless you're pretty confident you're running into Collector Roof. You usually just play the Ottawara and the... Um, portable Hole. The Portable... Uh, well, no, the uh, the the Blue Spring Leaf Jump. Um, but Portable Hole, like you don't, Unless you're pretty confident you're going to be running into that stuff, you don't necessarily play it because you have the other options. Um, and usually you don't care about the other creatures as much, in Paradox at least. But, you know, you definitely can play them all. Um, yeah, like you said, it depends on what you think you're going to be up against. Um, oftentimes, I think Portable Hole might still be worth it just because the other ones are temporary ways to deal with it. Although I guess you if it, never mind if you because if you're dealing going against collector oof then you need those but against other lists uh, pirate spell bomb and whatnot does a pretty good job of yeah. dealing with opposition agents and whatnot which you're you're almost playing in every build of the other two decks anyways yeah so that, that's why I did, don't necessarily know if you need the portable hole yeah it took my because like, portable hole also does not remove even mind sensor or opposition agent. Yes. It's just two drops. Oh, it's two drops. I thought it was three or less. Wow. That's... No, that that's Glass Casket, which is the same thing, but it's three mana. Or it's two mana, but it gets three drops. Right, yes. And you can play that, but it's 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 kind of harder to justify. Yeah. 
can get a little bit awkward. Uh, I'm like very tired right now, so my brain is going slower than my mouth. Uh, but we're going to move on to the next part of combo, or the next uh, maybe board slot of combo, which is defense grid and other ways to keep stuff sorcery speed. Uh, oftentimes it can be very nerve-wracking trying to go off when your opponent is on a deck that can play counters and they have mana open, but you like kind of just have to go for it. So things like defense grid, Teferi... Um, are really good options in storm you're often playing silence um abeyance the other orm's one. chant orm's chant uh, all good magic cards all good magic cards and admittedly a lot of these stuff like we said often makes it into the main board but in certain metas where you're not really worried about that stuff it can often just go into the maybe board until you get back to the meta where you got to worry about interaction so that's something that can be really nice to have as an option. Yeah. Um, I kind of forgot to mention something in the spot removal section, um, which was uh, in more creature-based combo decks, they care a lot about their graveyard. So you'll often play creature removal that is itself creature. So you'll be playing like Fury or Palace Jailer, sometimes Murderous Redcap, if that's the kind of deck you're in, Solitude. to remove. Solitude is a big one. So you can use that to remove Scavenging Ooze and Lion Sash and uh, Douthy Voidwalker. Those are kind of the main graveyard hit creatures. There's also Death High Shaman, which is yeah, a bad one. Which, those are often just in your deck anyway, because they're really, really good cards and beat fair decks as well as uh, interactive creatures. Yeah, that's true. I cut Palace Jailer, though, from a deck. Because it, yeah. like, it was pretty likely that we were going to be trading the Monarch back. And yeah. like that meta was like very likely to do that, so the palace trailer got worse. Um, yeah, especially now with the existence of solitude and fury, uh, palace trailer is not as much of a requirement as it used to be. It's kind of a liability. <laughs> yeah, I, like I remember the days of playing like flame tongue cavu and fire imp, and then palace jailer came out and i was like oh, this is like amazing this is revolutionizing the deck there's another way to deal with creatures that is not conditional and now it's just like well i mean just play solitude yeah pretty much man i miss the days of playing fire imp and pod dude so do i maybe we maybe, nah anyways flame tongue cavu honestly <laughs> flame tongue cavu was like my go-to for Oh man, don't you love having no threats so you have to play Flametongue Cavu and kill your own mana dork? That, that came up way too much, but, like, I mean, before, like, that was before Glorybringer, before Solitude, before Fury, like, that was your option, and it was like, man, like, you played it and you're like, the value I get from this 4-2 that also nukes their creature, and now you're just like, okay, well now I'm flashing in a Solitude and, like... Or playing a fury and four for wanting you, it's it's just. Oh yeah, I, I'm with you, dude. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but yes, um, I've I've killed many a mana dork or many of my own mana dorks with flame tongue cavu just to put out a threat. Now, uh, moving on, when it comes to combo decks and what you do in certain metas, um, in more aggressive meta games where they're not interacting with you as much. Um, they're more just interacting with that little number that starts at 20. Something you can do is, as opposed to trying to 
like fight them on the board or put up blockers. Sometimes the best thing to do is just kill them faster. So it seems a little counterintuitive, but sometimes the best thing to do is remove some things that would be your way to interact with that kind of stuff and just put in the stuff that is giving you more consistency, more nut draws, faster hands, so you can just end the game quicker than they can. Um, I'd say the biggest, like, in a lot of decks, not all decks, but in a lot of combo decks, the biggest uh, 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 exception to that is putting in an, an ensnaring bridge. Like, so, like, not, uh, I almost said pot, like, Paradox and Eggs, they're more likely just going to try and dump a, uh, dump their hand and find an ensnaring bridge and then hope you don't have a braid. Yep, if you watch the uh, episode of Paperlander where I was playing Paradox, I think I won, like, two games, or both of my games in one match because I was able to just tutor up ensnaring bridge and slow the game down enough. And actually, one of those games, you would have won the game had your opponent not had a Collector Oof, but what you did is you found an Estering Bridge, you survived until you found a way to remove Collector Oof, which is Ottawara. You just removed it for one turn, but that's all you needed. Yep. So, uh, yeah. well, look, it all, it all comes together. Yeah. Uh, another thing that Combo sometimes is going to be doing is just playing more protection that's not like defense grid or whatever, like uh, hand attack and counter spells. Um, like Storm, you will often see playing the big Thought three. Seize, Inquisition, Duress, Spell Pierce, Fluster Storm, Force of Will. Yeah, I don't usually go that deep. Usually I'm on just the hand attack. Um, Force of Will gets kind of awkward because you're in five I guess colors. You're not, yeah, you're not so, playing that many blue cards. Yeah, having a blue card to use is kind of awkward. Um and spell pierce and fluster storm are you get you, I think those are pretty common you get a little less options with those like spell pierce if they have the extra two mana you still can't be certain that you're protected um and then fluster storm kind of same thing like if they if they they can play around those luddies or they can play around the hand attack um, so I'm often not on those. Some people might be, but um, like especially in Paradox, I'm often on some number of counter spells. Usually that's like Mystic Confluence because that can also just be a draw spell and a way to deal with Collector Oof. Um, and like I'll often play. You see Remand a lot. Yeah, yeah, Remand. You can you can. Bring that like bring in counter spells and whatever to interact with your opponent on the stack if you feel like your meta is going to be playing a lot of disruption. Do people play in Paradox the uh the the X counter spell that lets you scry two? Uh condescend? Yeah, do people do that one? Uh, I know they used to like a long time ago. I wouldn't, but I mean it would not be terrible. Sure. You can like you can cast one of your spell, like if you are just like digging through your deck, you can like cast a cantrip and then condescend it for zero to scry to. Yeah, that's kind of bad, but <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Yeah, well, it's 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 about it's about as bad as flame tongue cavoing your own mana dork. No, because the payoff is scry two, not attack for four. <laughs> but if you're going off and you just need to dig, it might be worth it. 
This is a sure. whole rant for a card you probably shouldn't even be playing in Paradox. Not not in 2023, that's for sure. Not in 2023. Um, one more piece of removal that uh, combo decks bring in, or they don't bring in. Pretty much they never cut this one anymore nowadays. Um, ways to remove all those troublesome in uh, uh, disruptive creatures is just Oko. Make them an elk. What are they going to do? I guess they could ephemerate it, but besides that, what are they going to do? You know, just make them an elk. Yeah, Oko is uh, like the best card in Paradox. Oko is also the way that if they like. If they're disrupting your combo with cards in their hand, you just kill them with Oko. And if they're disrupting your combo with cards on the board, you just kill those with Oko. Well, you just elk those with Oko. Yeah, Oko's really good. It's also really good against Paradox because you just like start turning their artifacts into elks. Yeah, and then they just attack you to death. Sure, but you just are playing no, better it, creatures. It is, yeah, you're right. It is It is not good for them. All right, um, we are falling a tad bit behind uh well, this last section we were gonna pretty well. Yeah, uh, well, go ahead and introduce this next section. Yeah, uh, we're gonna talk about mid range. Um, we've already done a full episode on deep diving into mid range, in which we talked about the immense customability of the of mid range as an archetype. Uh, mid range, I'd say, is the most flexible as a, as beating whatever meta you need to beat. Um, so we're not gonna go super in depth, but we can kind of go through and hit the main points if you want to get a more <clears throat> deep dive on mid-range i would suggest going and watching our episode titled just that but a big thing about mid-range is i for me like the difference with let me let me hold on the 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 identifying difference between a lot of builds and mid-range for me is how much removal i'm playing because if i'm playing like a more controlling mid-range deck i'm going to be playing an insane amount of removal particularly spot removal and if i'm want to be just have more good threats than they have good threats plus removal i don't actually play all that much um though admittedly i rarely do that i usually am more on the lot of removal kind of guy but you know i've seen people play little removal more better creatures yeah can i uh can i give a spoiler for the next paper lander well as to what it's going to be yeah because I don't think it will be out by the time this is out. Um, it, it should not be. But we uh, we've been we've been arguing about Jun versus Abzan since the dawn of time, and we decided to do something about it. So the next paper lander may or may not be two Junless and two Abzanless, just like duking it out, uh, and it's going to be very entertaining. So spoilers. Keep your eyes. One open of us for that. wins. Yes, someone wins. It's not a tie. <laughs> It's not a tie. Uh, it is It is a sweep, but who can say who swept who? Oh, come on. Well, now you just gave stuff away. I wasn't giving anything away. What? I didn't give anything away. You're right. I'm just saying not to be so hard on yourself. Sure. Uh, Anyways. unfortunate. The other thing that... I mean, we've kind of talked about this a lot up to this point, um, but uh, different inter- or like incidental disruption is a big thing mid-range decks like to bring in. I, you know, quote unquote, bring in um, things like scavenging ooze and Douthy Voidwalker and opposition agent, even mind sensor. You don't, or even collector. If you don't necessarily play all of those, like you're pretty likely to be playing opposition agent. You're pretty likely to be on either scavenging ooze or Douthy Voidwalker. Sometimes both, but seeing as neither of those are the most efficient body 
for what they do, uh, like for their mana cost. Um, you know, it's pretty often that you're not gonna play them unless there's a really good reason to. Yeah, but basically all of those cards that we said, or all of those removal spells that combo deck that we said combo decks need to bring in in order to beat uh, certain decks, mid range is one of the main reasons that they need to bring those in. Yeah, because all those cards that are listed, they're a little specific if you need them or not. But if you went up against someone who said, "Hi, I'm playing Jund," and they slam, they literally just curved those cards, you'd be like, "Well, that's Jund." You know, it all still fits into the game plan really well. Sometimes you will see Jun decks play a little more, or Jun, any mid-range deck, try and play a little more hand attack than they necessarily would otherwise if the, they know they're going up against a lot of combo. Like, uh, uh, what is it? Collective Brutality isn't really just an auto-include anymore like it used to be. But if people know they're going to be going up against Storm, they're going to pack it. Yeah, for sure. Um... Yeah, so another thing, so this is something we didn't actually cover in the All About Midrange episode, but one thing that I've started considering more in my midrange decks is consciously including threats that are good against the initiative, um, which actually if you watch the most recent Paperlander, you'll see like my list might look a little bit strange, I'm playing some weird cards, but I included them with the intention of them being good against the initiative. So some examples of this are like haste, threats with haste. Um, so if your opponent's like, okay, they have three creatures, I've got three, like they won't be able to take the initiative. And then you slam this hasty threat, it can mess up combat math. Or things with flying or other sources of evasion. Dathy Voidwalker, like Ash said, is a good example. Um, I was playing Nighthawk Scavenger, which is admittedly just a card that i like playing because i think it's super dope uh it's probably not good but it's i think it's good it's fine yeah it's like perfectly fine i mean i'll be again minor spoiler i believe that i slotted into my abzian deck for the last paper lander because i expected there to be an amount of initiative and it's a death touch flyer well yes and lifelink is never irrelevant well often not irrelevant yeah, I would never say it's never irrelevant, but in mid-range matchups, it's it is very relevant because those sometimes come down to who can remove the potent blocker and get in for enough. Yep. Um. um go ahead. Yeah. Uh, another thing. Um, this is similar to what we talked about with aggro, but when you're starting to look at a lot of control going up against you, you're going to be looking at playing more resilient threats, and that can come in the form of a Thrun, or maybe just playing Reanimate in your deck. Um, but another thing that is really resilient to control is play more Planeswalkers. <laughs> They're not exactly resilient as much as the control only has so many ways to remove a Planeswalker. So if you play enough of them, control can really struggle with that. Esper control does a better job at removing them because there's a lot more Vindicate effects. But uh, like blue-white control or Jeskai control, they don't have as many options to remove Planeswalkers. It is kind of crazy. I remember when blue-white control's biggest weakest weakness was Planeswalkers because they had like two ways two to options. deal with it. And now we've got like Prismatic Ending, Fateful Absence, um, Leyline Binding, Leyline Binding, all kinds. Uh, don't of get me stuff. wrong. It's the st- the deck still doesn't love seeing Planeswalkers, but it is much more manageable than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, final thing with mid range, 
Uh, we kind of foreshadowed this earlier. Midrange can change drastically based on you just shifting your threats. Uh, if you like shift your threats lower to the ground, you can just get a lot more aggro, be better against things like combo, um, like really just kind of go fast. And then if you just shift like literally 10 to 15 of your threats uh, can completely change how the deck plays. If you just go higher on the curve, like I said, play more Planeswalkers, uh, play more like impactful um, creatures and stuff. Going to be much better against control and other mid-range. Control and other, other mid-range, for sure. Uh, so, like we said, mid-range, very customizable um, if you want more uh, an in-depth, more in-depth re- response. No. More in-depth explanation. Uh, <laughs> go watch the previous episode. Like I said, my mouth is moving faster than my brain, but we're, we're figuring do, it out. Do you mean previous episode, or do you mean the mid-range deep dive? The mid-range deep dive. Or is it all about mid-range? I think it's all about mid-range. Oh, I called it the wrong thing earlier. Oh, no. Oh, no. People are, like, looking up mid-range deep dive, and they're like, I can't find it. Ash doesn't know what he's talking about. Correct. I don't. Uh, Nick, do you want to talk about what you played last time? Yeah. Um, So I am going to talk about something. It it happened a, a wee bit ago. It was... So every year we try... Well, we started last year, and we were going to try to do it again this year. Then we to, all forgot. Yeah, we wanted we were going to do an April 1st tournament. Um, we often, or last year we did it, I played Seinfeld. It was super dope. I, told I played Battle people. of Wits. Uh, I played Battle of Wits, and um, it sucked. Shuffling that many cards over and over again sucked. Yeah. Uh, but this year, I wanted to play Draw the Game Tribal. I wanted to just jam as many ways to force the game into a draw as I could. That didn't end up happening, uh, partially because I put the cards, I like pulled, I typed up a list of what I needed, and I was gonna have to buy like eighty dollars worth of cards, and I was like, I really don't want to spend eighty dollars on a deck where the best case scenario is I go o o and three. Um, so I just didn't end up doing it, and turns out uh, no one else ended up getting around to building their deck either. So we just didn't. We all forgot. We all yeah, we all forgot. Like it just didn't happen. But I still got my wish because match one, I was playing against Ash and he was on blue white control. And I think it was exactly one game. We played one game. It was a super duper grindy back. Oh, it was a, what was I it was on? a good game. What was I on? I was on teamer. I have no idea. Oh, I was teamer on fair cards. Teamer on fair cards. Match one was just like a super duper grindy back and forth slog fest. Um, by the end of the game, both of our graveyards were bigger than our decks, and the game ended in a draw. That's how to you be, know it was a good game. Yeah. To be fair, I think had that game played out and we didn't hit time, I think Ash eventually would have got there because it got to the point that I was out of steam and Ash had a decent hand think, of cards. Did I, did I have a will? I don't that point i don't know i think, I think you had, I had a I, think you had a, game. I don't think you had a i think you had a shorikai at the end of the game i think that's how you were oh. ahead gotcha um but it ended up ending in a draw and then uh because i love playing against blight so much match two i went against caroline um so game one i was like way ahead so what the board state was is i had an uro well i had played an uro 
and I had escaped the Uro, and I had a Krakus on the battlefield, and I knew that Caroline had a Terminus in hand. But because I had the Krakus, I was just like leaving it untapped so I could bounce the Uro in response to a Terminus, so she wasn't wanting to cast it. It was kind of like an awkward board state. And I got to the point where she had tapped out for something, and I had a White Plume Adventurer in hand, and she was at five. So I had either the option of... And, but I only had, I had, I'd like cast something else and I had three mana. And so I could choose to either play the White Plume Adventure and tap the Krakus and let her hey, wrath. Hmm? And you are playing Teamer? Oh, maybe I wasn't. What was I on? Maybe I was on Spearmint? No, I was on Spearmint. That's what I was on. Spearmint just okay. I Yeah, I, the, <laughs> I other, like, the reason I thought I was on Teamer is because I remembered distinctly that I was play, I played an Uro. No, okay, I was on Spearmint because... I had white. Um, either way, so I ended up, so I decided to tap out for this white plume adventure because I was like, this ensures, and I didn't have enough cards in my graveyard to escape a row again if I had to bounce it to my hand. So my thought process was, if she casts Termus next turn, which she has to do or she dies, I can bounce the Uro, but then I don't. I can't escape it, so I'm. I'm sure I'm drawing cards off of it, but I'm not like actually putting a threat on the board. But if I play the adventurer now, I can guarantee a three turn clock because she has like almost no ways to take the, um, the initiative back, especially if she's spending her next turn wrathing. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Well, sort of. So, I play the white plume adventurer. Uh, she casts terminus, which relevantly puts Uro on the bottom of my library. Uh, I go to the forge, don't put any counters on anything, whatever. And then I go to my next turn. She's at five. I'm like, all right, I've won the game. I go to trap. Stifle is in her graveyard and she casts disallow to stifle trap. And I'm like, crap. And then she casts a snapcaster mage to get the initiative back the turn before I was going to go to throne of the dead three. Um, And then from there, she was able to stabilize and win the game. And I was like, okay, this is not great. And at this point, that game had taken a long time. Uh, game two, I played a turn one Ragavan, and I rode that to victory. Uh, and game three, we didn't have enough time, and we drew. So I drew games one and game two, going great for the 003. You're, you're uh, giving Blue Eye Control a bad name. Uh, just play more ways to win. Stop telling me to play more win cons. Uh, and then my third match opponent decided that he wanted to leave. So, uh, I'm considering that a draw. I technically decided to give him the win because he had a better record than me and I couldn't prize, but I'm counting that as a 003. So I'm saying draw the game tribal one. All right. That was a really, really long, uh, recap. So I apologize. Go ahead, Ash. Last week I played Jess guy blitz and it was fun. There you go. Uh, in reality, I did play Jeskai Blitz. It was really fun, mainly because I watched the Yellow Jacket 2022 year-end championship and saw someone cast, like, a million times they cast Harm's Way, and it looked really good. And I was like, I want to play that with Galvanic Iteration in my deck. So I did. I played Jeskai Blitz. Um, it's kind of like prowessy, blitzy, a, a little controlly, not really controlly. Pretty low to the ground. A lot of burn. Uh, on Moxfield, I called it Jeskai Bolt Snap Bolt because I, that's kind of the mindset I went into the deck with. Um, played a lot of ways to copy stuff so I could copy my Lightning Helixes and Ancestral Recall and Harm's Way, stuff like that. 
Um, the deck's been really fun. I went technically my record was two oh one, but I, I, I we drew the last match and then we played. I lost it, but it was actually a pretty good match. Um, but game one or match one, I went up against a new player to the community, a good friend of mine actually. Uh, he'd been wanting to join the community for a while, but work had just gotten in the way of his schedule. But now he's able to be here, so he's joining the community now. He was playing goblins, and I don't know if you knew this, a lot of split burn and copy effects against goblins is really good. So goblins lost. And then um, uh, match two, I went up against... What did I go up against? I think I went up against Carolina Blue-Eyed, actually. But I'm not entirely sure about that. I feel like I should be able to remember, but simply put, I don't. Um, and I've played a lot of cool, cool Jess guy stuff, I guess. And then one. I don't remember who I went up against. But match three, I went up against Mono Green uh, Devotion, Mono Green Aggro, Mono Green Stompy. Um, and it was a good match, but it, at the end of the day, Mono Green kind of stomped over me. That's just kind of how it happened. Um, but it was a f good, fun match. Uh, the deck was really fun. I'm actually probably going to be playing it in the next Async League, unless I decide I want to build something else. Um, I'm going to try out that new card from March of the Machines, the one that has Prowess in the front, and then you can pay mana and flip it, and then it gets Prowess, Prowess, Ward 2, and Trample. That seems good. <laughs> Double seems Prowess, really let's go. So, it's, it, the deck was fun. I really like it. Um, if I end up... Uh, if I end up putting it or playing it in the async league, I will actually have the full list on Moxfield. And if someone asks me and reminds me, I yep. can send it to him, but only if I play it, we'll see. That's a good place to wrap up the episode. I would say so too. Thank you all so much for uh, listening and we will see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 points podcast. And don't forget to count your points.